Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. On August 30th at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, I will be hosting another Zoom History Conference. This one is all about T.G. Hamilton, a man who used to be an MLA and then began conducting seances in Winnipeg during the 1920s. People such as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King would come to his door to speak to the dead. It's a really interesting story and registration is $5 for the 45-minute conference. You just have to register at CanadaEHX.com. The conference is also free for my patrons, and you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. I would like to give a shout out to a wonderful podcast I've been listening to called All the People You Should Know. It looks at the little known people from history, and it gives their story. And it's great, and I really encourage you to check it out. She is considered one of Canada's greatest athletes, and a person who brought glory to Canada on several athletic stages. Not only is she arguably the greatest female athlete in Canadian history, but she could be Canada's greatest all-round athlete ever. Her name is Fanny Rosenfeld, known today as Bobby Rosenfeld, and her story begins in the Russian Empire when she was born on December 28, 1904. When she was only an infant, her family immigrated to Canada just as the peasants were beginning to rise up against the Tsar. The family would settle in Barrie, Ontario. At the time, Fanny had an older brother, but the family would soon expand with her father Max and mother Sarah having three more children, all girls. Bobby would attend Central School and Barry Collegiate Institute, and soon made a name for herself locally through her excellent athletic ability. She would win her first race at the age of nine while attending a picnic, and it was around this time she received the nickname Bobby because of her bobbed hair. In hockey, described as her first love, she was said to be able to hold her own against the boys on Barry's natural ice on the outdoor rinks. In the history of Barry, she is described as slight of build, but wiry, and very quick. She knew only one way to compete, and that was all out. Always aggressive. She was not belligerent by nature, and she enjoyed great popularity wherever she went. It is said that once in Trinity Park, her hard shot caused the puck to shatter into several pieces. Rosenfeld described playing hockey in her youth. Well, a hockey picture in my day, uh, it was pretty rugged hockey we played, uh, Foster. Uh, we played outdoor uh, hockey, of course, on the cushions at Trinity Park and places like that. And It was 5, 10 degrees below zero, and we were really rugged. I remember one game, it was about 15 below zero, and we were playing 
the varsity team, if I remember correctly. And uh, none of us realized just how cold it was until I shot the puck and it hit the goalpost and the doggone puck splintered in about 29,000 pieces. At Barry Collegiate, according to Rosenfeld herself, she deliberately failed two courses so she could attend Habert Collegiate Institute in Toronto, which had a better athletic program. In 1923, when Bobby was 19, the family moved to Toronto, and she began working in a chocolate factory. For fun, she would join the Toronto Young Women's Hebrew Association and began to play basketball. The year she joined, the team would win both the Toronto and Ontario championships, and they would go on to nationals, losing to the iconic Edmonton grads, who deserve an episode to themselves and will have one in the future. Constance Hennessy, who was a member of the Toronto Ladies Athletic Club, would later state about Rosenfeld. She did not look powerful, but she was wiry and quick, and above all, she went after everything with full force. That same year, she would go to a picnic in Beaverton and was convinced to participate in the small track meet and enter the 100-yard dash. She would finish first in the race, not realizing that she had defeated the current Canadian champion, Rosa Gross. Rosenfeld related the story of that day in 1964. It all happened at uh, the time of a political sort of uh, picnic at Beaverton that was being held. I think it was Colonel Lennox who had the picnic. Now I'm not too sure, the late Colonel Lennox. And uh, the team I was up, uh, the team I was playing softball, with which I was playing softball, uh, was Hein and Dock. And uh, we were up there for primarily to play in the softball tournament. And uh, also there were this, this potpourri of uh, sports events. And uh, there was a 100-yard dash on, and the girls on my softball team said, oh, why don't you go in it, Bobby? And I said, oh, I don't know. I'm going to enter this 100-yard dash. I said, uh, oh, I haven't got, I had the spinnaker, uh, uh Midi and pup tent bloomers and the running shoes and the wool stockings and the old pea cap that we used to wear, you know. And I said, oh, go on in it anyway. You, you're pretty good on the bases. I was pretty speedy on the base pass, so I said, well, all right. I went in it just for the heck of it, you know. And I won the race, and uh, after the race, uh, uh, Duke McGarry, who was the timer at the time, and uh, the late... Uh, Elwood Hughes, Duke is dead as well, the late Elwood Hughes, who then was sports director at the CNE, came rushing up to me and said, hey, Jimmy, where do you come from? Uh, you ever run before, and what's your name? And I said, well, my name's Bobby Rosenfeld. Yes, I did a little running. Why? He said, why? He said, do you know you just beat the Canadian champion? I said, who's that? And he said, well, that's Rosa Gross you just beat, and do you know the time? Uh, that you ran the race? I said, no, what time? He said, just broke the Canadian record at 12.1 or whatever the time was. I think it was 12.1. I said, well, isn't that dandy? By the end of the year, she was competing at the track meet at the Canadian National Exhibition, along with three other amazing female athletes, with Gross, Grace Conacher, and Myrtle Cook competing. The four would defeat the more experienced team from the United States in the relay. Rosenfeld relates taking on the Chicago team in the relay, considered to be the best in the world. Here was this uh, team from Chicago, all natally dressed in the latest uh, accepted fashion for track and field, the little shorts and the little sweaters, and most of us were in, still in our bloomers and our uh, spinnaker middies, except a little me who improvised. And uh, the, the uniform that I had was an old 
baseball sweater with a Hyman dock thing on it, which I was running for, <laughs> and my brother's swim trunk, of all things, that's, these were my shorts, my brother's swim trunks, and the, my, my dad's wool socks, you know, and, and there I was, I looked like something out of, uh, well, <laughs> Disneyland, I guess, and I, I, I took a look at the, uh, these uh, girls, all so natly dressed, and I thought, oh my God, look at us. Look like something that they use in a cornfield, real scarecrows. But anyway, we did come out uh, and it, uh, to run, and it did have a happy ending in that I beat the world champion. I won the race, and Rosa Gross was second, and uh, the world champion was third. And from this was uh, came, uh, this was the springboard. Rosenfeld would share a friendly rivalry with Gross, who took the 100-yard spring title in 1924 after losing it to Rosenfeld. Rosenfeld would get the title back in 1925 and set a world record at the same time. By 1925, her legendary athletic abilities were becoming known to all of Canada. In a single day at the 1925 Ontario Ladies Track and Field Championships, she would finish first in the discus, shot put, the 220-yard dash, low hurdles, and long jump, while taking second in both the 100-yard dash and the javelin throw. By this time, she held the national records for the 440-yard open relay, the standing board jump, the discus, shot put, and javelin. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At the 1928 Olympic Games, she was one of the matchless six, a group of Canadian women who dominated the competitions. I did an episode on them last year, and you should definitely check it out. At those Olympics, she would take a gold medal in the 4x100 meter relay, and a silver in the 100-yard dash. When Rosenfeld and the Matchless Six returned, they were greeted by a crowd of 200,000 people on a parade through Toronto. Rosenfeld had also secured more points for her country than any other athlete of the Games, male or female. Rosenfeld relates attending the Olympics and representing Canada. Well, uh, first of all, of course, I remember uh, being uh, all dressed up in uh, the um, white blazers and the red crests and the maple leaf and the parade in the grounds and, and everybody cheering and the salute of the, uh, the reigning monarch, queen. Uh, I think it was a queen at the time, I'm not too sure, but the, the salute of royalty in the box. You haven't any idea the thrill you get as you sort of eyes left and here you are all in a bunch of miles away from home and the thunderous cheer that goes up. And the Canadians were probably the most favorite team of all at the Olympic Games. We dare not go any place in a car or not blazers that we would stop traffic and people would poke fun, uh, poke sticks at us in the car. You know, Canadians, Canadians. And we were the most popular of all the teams. How'd you make out in the Olympics, Bobby Rosenfeld? Well, we did very well. Uh, we won the uh, Olympic 
team title. This was the 28 Olympic uh, Games was the first modern, the 2020 Olympic Games were the first modern Olympics for women. They never had uh, women's events on Olympic Games until 1928. In the modern Olympics, this was the first for women. And and Canada was very fortunate in that the uh, Canada won the women's Olympic team title. We won the high jump with Ethel Catherwood, the Saskatoon Lily, she was called. I won a second place, and there was a lot of controversy over that race. I won a second place in the 100 meters. We won a fourth and a fifth in the 800 meters, and we won the relay uh, race and set a new Olympic record. So besides the competition, of course, there are a lot of other things that I remember vividly about the Olympic Games besides the competition, the sneaking out after curfew and the fun with the lacrosse boys from uh, Westminster and the cyclists from all over the country. Not content to just compete at track and field, she continued to play basketball, and her team would twice more go to the final in the decade, while she also played softball, fastball, and hockey. One of the most amazing stories of Bobby comes from the Toronto Ladies Grass Court Tennis Championship. She had only just taken up the sport, and she would win the title at the event. On top of all those sports, she also competed in lacrosse, golf, and speed skating. One sports writer summed up her domination in sports by saying, the most efficient way to summarize Bobby Rosenfeld's career is to say that she was not good at swimming. Rosenfeld would talk about her brief foray into speed skating. They persuaded me uh, that I had as much speed as Gladdy Robinson, and that was a bad persuasion. Uh, but anyway, they, they got me entered into a race at the Mutual Street Arena for the Ontario Championship. Gladdy was in it and a few other girls, I don't remember their names, and I was in it and it was a 440-yard event. And I had my hockey skates on, of course. I, I couldn't skate in those long blades. I'd fall on my ears, so I got back into hockey skates. Well, the starter was Duke McGarry, and he popped the gun and off we went, and I led for the first lap. But after three, Gladdy had me lapped but well, I decided that that was as good a time as any to retire from speed skating. In hockey, she was dubbed the superwoman of ladies hockey and was arguably the most famous female hockey player in the country during her time. She would help guide the Toronto Patterson Pats to the 1927 and 1929 Ontario Championship and she was considered to be the most outstanding women's hockey player in all of Ontario during the first part of the 1930s. In 1929, she would have an arthritis attack and be bedridden and on crutches for eight months. She would recover and get back to competing in sports, but the writing was now on the wall. By 1933, the arthritis was becoming severe and she would be forced to stop competing. She didn't leave sports though. She would coach the Canadian women's track and field team at the Commonwealth Games that year. She also served as an administrator and official in softball and hockey in Ontario. In 1936, she decided it was time to find a new career and she became a journalist writing a sports column for the Globe and Mail for the next 20 years, and pushing for greater participation of women in sports. Originally, her column was called Femmes Sports Real, then Feminine Sports Real, and then just Sports Real. When promoting women's sports, she would argue against the belief that athletic ability made women unattractive, and she would emphasize the attractiveness of female athletes, their marriages, and children, when names such as Amazonian women and muscle moles were levied against women athletes. She also had a wonderful way with words. On January 10th, 1941, she published the following column that I will take bits from to showcase her desire to have women in sports taken seriously. 
It states, One of the most periodic diatribes against Eve has burst into the print again. Its author is Jack Miley, chivalrous two-fisted scribbler from the New York Post, who once earned himself a black eye from the fist of Dizzy Dean in an encounter in Florida. It's the same old malarkey flavoring most all misogynistic articles levied at women athletes. She goes on to quote Miley, who said that a woman's face flush from a hot stove is prettier than one that has been produced from running in sport. He said in his column, A woman's place is in the home, and I never saw a girl yet who didn't look a slight better with a frying pan than a tennis racket. Bobby would respond in her column with the following, What is more beautiful in sport than a graceful figure poised atop a high diving board, leaning forward, arms arched, and floating into space? Coming down into the water like a great seabird, a thing of infinite grace, striking smoothly, without a splash, and streaking into the depths, leaving hardly a ripple, or watching Alice Marble gliding over tennis courts, or the sight of some graceful girl golfer swing with precise rhythm and a certain power on a teed-up ball. On another occasion, a Vancouver sports writer questioned the role of women in sports. Rosenfeld responded with an excellent bit of writing, saying, Athletic maids to arm. We are taking up sword and high time it is, in defense of our so-called athletic bodies, to give the lie to those pen flourishers who depict us not as paragons of feminine physique, beauty, and health, but rather as Amazons and ugly ducklings, all because we have become sports-minded and have chosen to delve so wholeheartedly into competitive sport. In 1967, a testimonial dinner was held in Barrie for her, celebrating her accomplishments throughout her life. Bobby would pass away on November 13, 1969, and upon her death the Globe and Mail called her that rarity, a natural athlete. The honours for her are many. In 1949 she was inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame, and she would be named Canada's female athlete of the first half century of the 20th century. Rosenfeld spoke with the legendary Foster Hewitt in 1950 about being selected for that honour. Bobby, that was quite an award you won as Canada's outstanding women's athlete of the last 50 years. That must bring up some tall memories. How about doing a little reminiscing on your own and bring us up to date on women's sport? Uh, for instance, uh, how about hockey? Didn't you take an active part in that? I sure did, uh, Foster. But just before I go into that, uh, I'd like to thank all the lovely people who have been just deluging my office with telegrams and telephones and letters congratulating me at did my heart an awful lot of good to know that people still remembered uh, my little contribution in sport, particularly since the uh, active days have been in mothballs for a good long time, as you know, Foster. <laughs> well, you certainly made a great contribution, and it's well-deserved. In 1976, she would be recognized as a person of national historic significance. In 1982, she was inducted into the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, and in 1985, she was inducted into the Barry Sports Hall of Fame Society, one of the first three individuals inducted. In 1991, Bobby Rosenfeld Park would be named for her, located between Rogers Centre and the CN Tower. A plaque honours her at the foot of the CN Tower as well. In 1996, a stamp was issued in her honour, and in 1998 she was inducted into the Ontario Sports Hall of Fame. In 2016, she was one of the five finalists considered for the new $10 Canadian banknote. As well, the Female Athlete of the Year trophy, presented annually by the Canadian press since 1978, is named for her. It could be argued that Bobby Rosenfeld was not just Canada's female athlete of the first half century, but the female athlete of the century for the country. I hope you enjoyed that look at Bobby Rosenfeld, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. 
You can email me at craig at canadaehx.com and you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history on my website. Just go to canadaehx.com. Information comes from Canadian Encyclopedia, Olympic.ca, Jewish Women's Archive, Wikipedia, Ontario Sports Hall of Fame, Simcoe County, The Recent Pass, Claire's Home Local Press, Medium.com, and CBC. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.